My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Do y'all remember puberty? Of course you do, unless you repressed it or something, which could have been for very good reason. It's not an easy time for most of us. Our bodies start to change and our hormones go all wonky, all while we have very little understanding of what's actually happening. It's also when most of us begin to feel sexual attraction. If you're asexual, however, puberty and much of your life in this area don't pan out like the masses, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I have to tell you, I am so excited to explore this this topic. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. Asexuality is a topic that I feel is greatly overlooked, even within much of the sex-positive community, and there's just so much ignorance around it. In fact... Check out this clip of news commentators discussing asexuality. Uh, as a forewarning, it derives from Fox News. So, in other words, it may be a little difficult to hear. While most feel a tug, they just shrug. I speak of people who feel no sexual attraction to others. A new book argues that asexuals, an estimated 1% of the population, should be recognized as a fourth sexual orientation, or FSO for short, with the author calling them an understudied group who can feel very excluded from our, quote, very sexualized culture. Indeed it is. Said one fan of neither woman nor man, quote, we want asexuality to be recognized as a valid sexual orientation rather than a disorder or something people have to hide. So let's discuss this in the, shall we? Lightning round. Lightning round. Brooke, do you buy this orientation? Asexuals? Are they an under... I buy it. Oh, you do? Asexuality has been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It's called being a woman every three and a half weeks. Oh. It's a wonderful (laughs) excuse to get out of obligations. Come on. Um, I I feel really bad for this poor 23-year-old who actually went and did the interview who admitted that he doesn't objectify women, so they classified him as being asexual. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the whole problem with the study. They went around to a bunch of men and they didn't want to, you know, have sex 10 times a day, all of a sudden they're asexual. So you think that that actually these people were just normal? Absolutely. Or they were underreporting in an uber-sexualized society, so we've had to invent this asexuality. I just can't believe the interviewer bought that I was 23. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, could it be they're exaggerating uh, asexuality, the numbers, like everybody does? Remember we were told that this poor... I was going to play more, but I feel a little nauseous now. Uh, I feel really bad for that woman, for being so scarily misled. In less than a minute, she shunned women, sex, sex during your period, which isn't as important, but a topic for another show. And most importantly, people who identify as asexual, who is she to judge, right? 
Thankfully, I know better than to believe such commentary, but I feel like it's my responsibility to get a feel for all that's out there. And I always want to learn as much as I can about what, you know, all kinds of different people from different backgrounds think and feel about controversial subjects so that I can do my best to bring light to the most helpful information. While I won't plug the specifics of that show or its speakers, I will give a little shout out to the book they mentioned. It's called Understanding Asexuality. It's by Anthony Bogert, a professor at Brock University and one of the few researchers who's uh, studying asexuality, which is really important. Uh, while seeking a guest for today, I was about to put a shout out on Twitter, as I so often do with my hashtag girl boner, when I came upon a profile that just spoke to me. Uh, lucky for all of us, the woman is here today by phone, Lauren Jankowski. She's a feminist, a vegan, a writer, an activist regarding asexuality, and an overall kick-ass woman who happens to be, as I said, asexual. She holds a BA in Women and Gender Studies from Beloit College and has all kinds of experience writing fiction and nonfiction. She maintains a blog and has been writing fiction since high school when she noticed a lack of strong women in the popular genre books. I love that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very fine today. It's a little cold in Chicago, but you know. Oh my gosh, Chicago. I grew up in Minnesota, so I feel you. I'm still like thawing out from <laughs> Minnesota winters. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, so I have to ask you first, because I feel like a lot of people don't even know what asexuality means. Could you just share what is it? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> it's um, the most general definition of asexuality is a lack of sexual attraction or desire. Um, it's actually kind of a spectrum, though, of orientation. So you'll have like heteroromantic asexuals, homoromantic asexuals, panromantic asexuals. Um, and then you'll have gray A's who will occasionally experience sexual attraction, only in certain circumstances. Um, You'll have demisexuals who will only experience sexual attraction after um, forming a very strong emotional bond with a person. And then you have people like me. I'm an aromantic asexual. I don't experience any kind of desire for um, an intimate relationship or a romantic relationship. And I find a lot of uh, satisfaction in platonic relationships like friendships and so on. Interesting. And that, that was such a helpful, informative um, answer. I've been researching this. And um, as you said, that the spectrum, I think a lot of people don't realize that either. They think it's like this um, black or white type thing. How did you come to recognize it about yourself? Well, <laughs> it was very difficult, actually. Um, I kind of first started noticing there was something different about me in middle school. And unfortunately, when I was in middle school, there was no information about asexuality. I just noticed people like getting in relationships and girls wanting to pair everybody up and I was just not interested and I didn't experience the same desires that my classmates did. And then when it gets to high school, when you have the train wreck that is sex ed, um, <laughs> I was even more confused because, again, everybody seemed to be experiencing this thing that I didn't experience and for a while I thought I was really sick. I thought there was something messed up about me. Um, I, there was a week where I was convinced I had a brain tumor. Oh my goodness. Because I, uh, yeah, because I didn't experience attraction. Okay. And I'll never forget, I was having a very severe anxiety attack in my library in high school, and I was, I was trying to find symptoms that, that matched what I was experiencing. And 
through some through luck, I happened across AVEN, uh, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, and it was like the response to it was kind of almost instantaneous, where I kind of settled down and was like, oh, okay, that's not bad. I'm not sick. There's people like me out there. It, it, it's fine. I'm not repressed or messed up or anything like that, so... Yeah, I, I've known for a while, but oh, God, thank God. goodness that you you did learn that. I, I, I mean, I just think about how difficult that time is for any of us, and how limited the education is. And I don't recall learning anything about asexuality either. I just I can't imagine, uh, you know, the challenges. And once you learned. Did you sort of, um, you know, did you keep it to yourself? Did you feel comfortable sharing? Did you tell your your family or any friends? I was well after I found uh, Avent and I found asexuality. I was probably in the closet for um, the metaphorical closet for maybe a couple more years. Uh, I did come out to my mom first, and she was my my mother's just the most lovely human being in the world. She was just like, okay, whatever makes you oh, happy. Oh, we love her. That's amazing. I, she's she's a wonderful person. Um, and when I came out to uh, my friends, it was kind of a, a different uh, reaction. I've I've had a couple friendships fall apart because the person couldn't or wouldn't accept asexuality as a valid orientation um, and insisted on trying to quote unquote fix me. Mm. And it's really scary how many people think um, corrective rape is a cure for asexuality. Oh, you're kidding. Uh, oh, yeah. You'll, you'll hear... It amazes me how I have... I, I've had friends who are pro-equal rights, like crazy badass feminists, suggest that I just needed to go out and get laid to fix myself. And oh my it, gosh. It, it's, that, that disturbs me to no end. Oh. Um, yeah, my, a lot of my, my extended family doesn't really believe in asexuality, so they still think I'm just quote-unquote shy or, or repressed or, you know, whatever. But it's like... Wow. I, I've surrounded myself now with positivity and really awesome people. So good for you. Good for you. It, that that really shows. And you brought up one of the myths that uh, I think is pretty common, which is that people who are asexual are incredibly shy and socially awkward. And it's not that they don't have the feelings; it's just they don't feel comfortable acting on them. Um, and I know that some people confuse it with with celibacy, you know, which is a, mm-hmm. which is a choice, as I understand it. Um, another yeah. myth that I've that I've learned about recently is, I guess, a lot of people think that asexuality means that you can't have sex. Can you tell us about the physiological um, aspects or, or what comes up as far as what people believe about your, you know, do your genitals work, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I've had that a couple times. Um, uh, well. I've heard asexuals, people think they're they're sterile or they're um, impotent or, or something like that. Um, I'm I've never experienced sexual desire, even even masturbatory desire. Um, but I know that quite a few asexuals do experience do masturbate or do feel comfortable masturbating. You know, um, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's it's not a, a physiological. Uh, disorder at all. Um, and you know, it, it, it's just, it's one of those things where people are trying to pathologize, um, an orientation and it, it's gonna lead to like a lot of harm and a lot of, you know, it, it, it's just like another way of othering asexuals. 
Very well said. Yeah. I could see that. It reminds me a lot of, uh, are you familiar with Masters of Sex or Masters and Johnson's work? The sexual studies that they did in, you know, the 60s and 70s. And at that time, people were trying to fix homosexuality as though it was an illness, you know, and uh, it's Mm -hmm. not, that education is so important to know that it's not that something's wrong with you. And uh, I actually, I was watching some different videos and reading more stories about uh, different people who are sharing experiences about asexuality, which is so bold. And I, I commend you because I think that's how these ideas change. Um, but there was one guy talking about how he's like, I still get morning wood. He's like, but I don't have desire to do anything with it. Like it's, it's not that there's something, you know, wrong with any part of the genitals or any, any of you, um, that things can still work and that masturbation can feel good for some, for some it's not, it's, you know, our, our sexuality is so individual. And I think there's this spectrum for all of us. You know, we want to put gender in boxes. We want to put all this stuff in kind of like black and white terms. Um, so it's obviously, it's not a hormonal problem. Uh, and you brought up another myth that I came across, which was, I've, I've heard that a lot of people say, you can't know if you like sex if you haven't tried it. Has, has anybody said that to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I had a friend who would not get off that topic, and it was like, it was so frustrating because I'm like, you know, I haven't tried crack either. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like that. <laughs> and I'm like, would you say that to a, to, one, to a gay friend or to a lesbian friend? Well, how do you know you're really gay or lesbian unless you, you sleep with somebody of the opposite sex? Or how do you sure. really know you're trans unless you, you uh, embrace what, whatever sex you were assigned at birth? It, it's it's just a ridiculous thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, this is not quite comparable, but I get that sometimes with my choice to not have children. People will say, well, you have to have them, and then you'll know that you want them. And I'm like, no, I know that I don't want to have kids. It's like we know ourselves, and uh, to, to not uh, to give people the freedom. I, I think sometimes people, the ignorance is like they because there is this ignorance and because they see a lot of repression around female sexuality and sexuality in general, mm-hmm. they think that, well, maybe you are repressed. Maybe you are not empowered, all of this stuff. But you're such a great example of, of – um, you know, a, a very empowered person. You seem really strong and and happy and thriving and talented and all these things. And uh, I just, how, what made you decide to be uh, vocal about it and become an activist? Uh, because I don't want anybody to go through what I went through before I found asexuality. Um, I, uh, I I've had a lot of people kind of mess with my head when I was when I was questioning my sexuality. I. I had somebody who I trusted implicitly who felt the need to tell me that some obscure writer once said, uh, you can't be an artist until you experience sexuality. So basically, something that was out of my control was going to prevent me from doing something that I loved. And that just that really messed me up for a long time. Wow. I can imagine. Um, and yeah, and you know, I, and I, I, it's, it's so important that there's um, uh, uh, support for asexuals because it's like there, there are people who, who are like I was and, and scared and think they're messed up or something and think they can't be feminist and asexual or think they can't be artist and asexual or think they need to to perform sexually to have intimacy with another person. And it, it, that's just not the way it is. It's like sex should never be an obligation. It should always be, you know... It, it should always be consensual, and if and, and you don't need sex to be healthy. You don't need sex to to be a fulfilled person. You you can be asexual and be a human and be and 
do whatever you want. And one of the things I think that a lot of people are, are threatened about when it comes to asexuality is asexuality, um, it really challenges this societal view of love being hierarchical, um, which I, I've recently been exploring. Um, basically, the love you have for your spouse, your lover, your partner, whatever, is supposed to be like the ultimate most important love of your life. And with asexuals, you have, you, platonic love is placed equally with romantic love, even if you experience romantic attraction, or if, like me, you don't. Like, the love I feel for my family is no different than the love I feel for my friends. And I think that's, it's an interesting thing to really explore. It's, it's no better, it's no worse, but it, it's, it's an interesting idea. That's beautiful and, and so poignant. I think I've, I feel like we can have friends who are, quote, soulmates, you know, have that really kindred, um, kindred spirit type connection with, with animals, with, with, you know, and some people are very comfortable having many partners, you know, having, uh, poly marriage. Some people, um, you know, are much happier being single and being sexual. You know, it's just, it's such a, that's such a beautiful, uh, concept that, that that love is so powerful. It, it's interesting because romance has this sort of, we associate it with, with sexual attraction, but it sounds to me like you have a whole lot of romance in your life. Would you say so? Uh, well, because I'm aromantic, I wouldn't say it's romance. Um, I do experience like intellectual attraction. Like I, I cannot, I just, love having these really deep philosophical intellectual conversations with people with friends with family with whatever i mean it, it just it you know i i once told a friend it's almost what i imagine or, uh, orgasmic would feel like it's just it, it's so stimulating for me and it just it feels so good um i wouldn't necessarily call it romance uh some people might might call it romance personally i wouldn't but there there's just ton of love in my life and I think there's like this misconception with asexuality that you'll be alone and you'll be lonely and you'll never experience love and I I'm uh, to all the asexuals out there that is a lie <laughs> there is so <laughs> much love in my life I mean uh-huh. it is just like it, it, it more than I could ever have imagined it seems so, so authentic and it's so inspiring and you know what is interesting you just brought to mind for me you know, not being asexual, I used to jump from relationship to relationship and was way lonelier, you know, in those relationships because I hadn't found that sense of, of love and, and embracement with myself. And I was always looking to somebody else. Not to say that, you know, either, either way is better. We're all just different, but I think it's very interesting. I think that that stereotype that you will be lonely where you, I think the loneliest thing is to be in any kind, whether it's platonic or, um, you know, sexual, uh, romantic marriage, whatever. The loneliest is to be in a relationship when you haven't embraced yourself or you aren't feeling that kind of connection. You know, it sounds like you have really strong intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about asexual artists. I know that that's a big, uh, brainchild of yours. Oh yeah. Oh, that's my baby. That's my baby currently. Um, well, it came about from a couple of different things. Um, it came about from that, that person who I mentioned earlier who said you can't be an artist if you don't have sex in your life or if you don't experience sexuality or whatever the heck it said. Um, it came from that and it came from a literary agent telling me that, ace, well, 
I'm an author, and I have like this great idea for a series, which I wound up self-publishing. Um, but one of the first rejections I got was from this literary agent who flat out said asexuals are too niche. Asexuality is too niche to move books. Are you serious? going to represent you. Oh, that and is so aggravating. Was, yeah, it's a whole, it's horrible. There's like this overwhelming amount of ace phobia in publishing. Can, can I pause you for a second? I'm so what, sorry. Can I'm I ask sorry? you a question? I, I keep hearing or I kept reading that term and I don't know what it means. Could you tell me what is ace? Oh, ace, ace is just, <laughs> it, it's short for asexual. Oh, okay. Easy enough. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Asexuals <laughs> often refer to themselves as ace. I like it. I, I, it's, I slipped into that. No, that's okay. I, I kept reading it. And I was like, I can't find, okay, carry on. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you heard this from but, the, uh, the yeah, publishers. There was an overwhelming amount of ace phobia in publishing. And then uh, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back was when I kept finding lists of books with um, with supposedly asexual representation that had not a single work by a person who identified as asexual. So it was basically like what mostly cis hetero people assumed asexuality was. And that drove me up the wall. And it's like asexual artists are so often just completely overlooked or, or put in a box and you never hear about them. Uh, especially when it comes, when it comes to calls for greater diversity in reading arts, what have you. And then you'll have people go, well, I don't know any asexual artists, or there just aren't that many asexual artists. So I'm like, well, screw that. There, there are plenty of asexual artists out there, and I'm going to show everybody there are. So I started this blog, and I interview artists who identify as asexual anywhere on the spectrum. All asexuals are welcome. Um, and I've just had this wonderful amount of diversity, like so many different artists, uh, more than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, I think I have like about more than 50 interviews scheduled. Oh, wow. And it's just, these they're so talented. And I'm just like, oh, my God, how did I get this lucky? Oh, that is amazing. And more more evidence that there is love. Because I, I don't think you can separate artistry and love. I just don't. I You know, it's it's heart work. And uh, that is incredible. I am going to definitely check out your wonderful work and uh, buy your book. It's called Seer from the Green, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, there's four, uh, I've written four books so far. The series is still ongoing. There's probably going to be like seven or eight at this point. Awesome. I love it. My gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I just absolutely commend you for all that you're doing. Thank you for inspiring me and, and our listeners and, and the world through the work that you're doing. Cool. Thank you very much. Before I bring in our next guest, I would like to share some clips from a 2020 special that features romantic uh, asexuals, Sarah and Ringo. As Lauren so beautifully explained, some asexuals do indeed fall in love uh, with other individuals. Here's a bit of their story. We're not broken. Um, we're not weird. We're just normal people who are slightly different from everyone else, just like everyone is. Boom, she clack, clack, boom, she clack, clack, boom, she clack, clack, boom, she clack, clack, boom. I seriously have real trouble defining myself. Piecing together her sense of self. I'm just basically a very sarcastic, nerdy person. (laughs) Bit by bit, she's discovering what makes up the unique Sarah Mitchell. I love fantasy books. 
pretty much my favourite thing. And same with comics. And she's most definitely unique. I wouldn't have any hesitation to say that I'm asexual. I would be completely fine if I spent the rest of my life a virgin. I would have no problem with that. But that's not stopped her falling in love. He's just really, really lovely. His name is Renko. He's into figurines, medieval battling, and wants to be a writer. They met online and quickly discovered they had lots in common. We just understand each other really well and get along really well. We're very similar, I guess. For two and a half years, they chatted online and Skyped, but there was no chance of meeting in person because Renko lives in Holland. Are you in love? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Have you said the L word? That's going to be a thing saved for when you actually meet face to face, so I think that'll be nice. Well, we can all hope for a happy ending to this modern day love story because Renko is coming to New Zealand. Are you nervous? <laughs> Are you nervous about him coming? What a silly question, of course I am. <laughs> So after they met, they spent three weeks together enjoying each other's company, dating, they slept in the same bed. Then the interviewer followed up to see just how steamy and romantic their relationship had become and how they, as asexuals, define that. I think we should get straight to the point here. Did you have sex? Nope. Nope. <laughs> what did you do then? <laughs> Cuddle. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, kissing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you're lying in bed, kissing and cuddling, and you don't get aroused? No. I wouldn't even know what that feels like. That just doesn't happen? No. And you, Sarah? <laughs> no. no. Same. But did you feel a connection, though? Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. They have just a few days left together. These two are making the most of every minute. What's it been like being together physically? Well, it was fun. You don't sound too convinced. <laughs> um, There's no gushing, though. He's very awkward about talking to other people about these things. Yeah, um, yeah he's very enthusiastic. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Really? Now you're going to go bright red. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, you've both gone a bit red. Sarah, you're almost one colour right now. Serves you right. <laughs> I deserve that. <laughs> your sexuality is your own. Whether you're asexual, whether you're not, whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're bi, whether you're trans, you know, setting aside the labels and just saying, you know what, I'm human and this is who I am and, and this is how I feel about my body and sexuality and, and embracing whatever that is is so important, including when it comes to embracing our bodies au naturel. I am so excited to introduce you all to Shan Burton. She is a friend. She is also one of the award winners, one of the prize winners of the Beauty of a Woman Blog Fest 4, which we just wrapped up. And I asked Shan to join me today because she wrote this really profound, uh, beautiful blog post as her entry with one of the most incredible, gorgeous photos I've, I've ever seen. I'm not even kidding. Thank you for being here, Shan. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. So nice to hear your voice. Uh, would you please uh, do the honors of reading your post for us all? Yes, I will. <laughs> okay. A Naked Conversation. 
I'm a person who feels more comfortable in my own skin than in clothing. That's reflected, maybe, in the nudity that pervades my writing. My aroused Vulcans see little logic in wearing clothing that will only get in the way of their goals. And my tribe characters, well, when they are in the animal forms of their inner hunters, they tend to be naked in all but the coldest weather. There's more than a little of my own nature in that, in imagining a culture that lives wild, unabashedly naked and bare to the world. There's an old picture of me in Oregon's deep woods against an ancient tree, celebrating it and myself. It wasn't a planned shot. I saw that magnificent tree and some deep impulse surfaced. I stripped down to get elemental by this piece of the natural world. I was wearing only my wedding rings and a headband. At the time, I thought I looked fat, and I was embarrassed that I hadn't shaved my armpits. Fifteen years or so further along life's journey, I see it differently. Armpits grow hair. That's natural. Whether to shave it is a matter of choice or fashion, not an obligation. These days, I either do or don't, and I don't think much about it either way. And that body that seemed so unappealing then reminds me of a Rubens painting now, a lush and strong body, padded for pleasure. No Tassavari Huntress would be at all embarrassed to wear it. Oregon is an interesting place for nudity, even of the public type. There are several clothing-optional hot springs there, and we visited two of them in our pre-parenting years. McCready Hot Springs was tucked just off a state highway, accessible by a nondescript dirt side road. It was a short trek through the woods. The pools were of varying temperature, sprawled across a generous area, and kept natural. We shed our clothes before we got to the springs and ran through the trees, soon immersing ourselves. I can imagine the tribe having a place like this at the Pride Keep. On one visit, while we were soaking, a middle-aged man arrived. We chatted for a bit, the empty conversations people have when they're filling up space and attempting to prevent and present an image. And then my accomplice moved to a cooler pool, and I was alone with this man. For a moment, I was nervous and hugely aware of my nudity. I hadn't thought of clothing as social armor before that incident, but it is. We tell others how we want to be perceived and how we perceive ourselves by the way we dress. Without clothing, I was truly socially naked, and so was he. There was nothing sexual about it, but it was very intimate. Our conversation took a turn and became far more personal. He spoke of his wife and her dog, not his dog, but hers, to keep her company when he was on the road. He was a trucker and often stopped there for a soak before heading home. He spoke of his grown daughter. I talked about my still young marriage and our travels. We both spoke of our hopes for the future, and then we parted ways. I can see the Tassavari frolicking and connecting in these, those pools, lounging and washing one another, weaving new and stronger patterns into the hunt thread which sustains their tribe. There's something of beauty and honesty in being naked with other people in this way, and being as naked and open and vulnerable as the living and growing things that surround us. The social barriers fell away that day, and we were two people, genuinely sharing. Two people who might never have connected if we were wearing our respective suits of fabric armor. Bare skin has greater powers than the ability to attract prospective partners. Bearing skin can lead to bearing souls, to realizing that we're all connected beneath the layers of identity we don to get through our lives. And there is something beautiful in that. There is something beautiful in that. Thank you so much for, for sharing. P please tell us, why did you choose this, this topic? It's a bold one. Well, I was scanning old pictures, and I came across the picture by the tree. My husband had saved it. Uh, not so well. Mice had chewed a little bit of it. And I just started looking at my younger self and thinking how little confidence I had then and how life has gone by and that it seemed like the perfect topic. And I went with it. I love it. And so you've obviously grown uh, emotionally since then. Do you feel like that experience would be different now? 
Uh, we actually, our family of four, went back, we're in Oregon just last week, and went and visited the same tree. And it was different. I took pictures of my children, who are 10 and 13, standing by the tree, uh, took pictures up through the branches, was tempted to uh, get au naturel by the tree, but there just didn't seem to be a quite the good opportunity to do it. But I think I would be able to do it more easily now, and I wouldn't be so embarrassed about having done it. Lovely. That is the hope that we have, you know, throughout our lives that we continually embrace ourselves more and, and, you know, allows us to live fuller. And so you're the mother of of two fantastic kids. I haven't met them, but I I would love to someday. They seem wonderful. What do you want your kids to learn about their bodies growing up? Mostly I want them to know their bodies belong to them, that who they share them with and how is their choice. We don't tell them how to wear their hair, their clothing. We like to let them make those choices for themselves now. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of body acceptance for kids today. There's a lot of worry about obesity and a lot of other things. And I would just like for them to be able to be comfortable and confident in the skins that they have, especially now because their bodies are changing so fast. Sure. You know, you are doing the best thing, I think in providing them a positive role model, you know, that that is such an important uh, piece that many kids are missing. Any advice for uh, parents out there who would like the same for their kids? Yes, relax. They know what they're doing. If you give them the chance, have a little trust. Uh, Some kids, including mine, tend to get wide before they get tall. And that's where I worry about the childhood obesity scare because some children just are that way. And many of them will outgrow it, but not all kids were meant to be really thin, and that's okay, too. Just really trust them. Powerful message. Thank you so much for joining me, Shan. She's such a lovely person, such a lovely writer. To learn more about her, to read her post, and to follow her wonderful blog, go to my website, augustmclaughlin.com. You can click on the BOA 2015 tab for all of the links, and hers is right there. Uh, I also suggest subscribing to her blog. She has a couple in the in the actual contest, um, and I'm, I just think you'll be able to be inspired. She's a, she's a fantastic, fantastic woman. I think this last clip from Sarah and Ringo's story can inspire us all. You're just two quiet, nerdy people without the confidence to put yourself out there sexually. Thinking that quiet, nerdy people aren't very sexualized, just walk yourself into a comic book shop and look at some of the covers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, bit of a bit of a stereotype and I think it's misleading uh, because you'll find people of any sexual persuasion in any demographic. So everyone's having sex if they want it. Just the assumption that we would deprive ourselves of sex if we wanted it because of yeah, some sort of hang-up. There's no hang-ups. If, if, yeah. if one of us wanted it, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't bring it up. The day Sarah's been dreading has arrived. She plans to go to Holland to see Renko in a few months. But today it's time for the tearful goodbye. This has been quite the love story to watch unfold. A modern day love story with a bit of a twist. Some people watching will say, why put yourself out there? Why go public with your story? Because it's not really about us, it's more about visibility and getting asexuality out there is something that is perhaps not exactly the norm, but it's not abnormal. There's a lot of people who are going to watch this and go, wow, those guys are weird. 
That's Sorry. fine. We are weird. I mean, we're, we're weird <laughs> not, not for the reason they're going to be assuming, though. <laughs> I don't care. I don't know those people. <laughs> Renko, you. We can't change it. Um, we don't want to change it. Uh, lot, there's other people like us, and uh, part of the whole visibility thing is trying to make sure that other people who are asexual but haven't heard of it might hear of it and not feel as lost. We're not broken, um, we're not weird, we're just normal people who are slightly different from everyone else, and everyone is different. Wasn't that lovely? I think both Lauren and Shan illustrate this beautifully. Maybe it's not that we're weird at all, we're just wonderful and unique and however we are, every darn one of us. <laughs> if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.